everybody to the Enneagram Journey Podcast with Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, as you know, and today's guests you've heard on the podcast individually in the past, and today they join Suzanne at the Micah Center together. Husband and wife, Tony Jones, Enneagram 8, and Courtney Perry, Enneagram 7. This conversation was streamed live on the table, so you may hear a question or two from the audience. Before we get to their conversation, a quick reminder to check out the LTM cohort program. We offer two, the Anagram cohort with Suzanne and the contemplative cohort with the Reverend Joseph Stabile and Hunter Mobley. Both programs meet four times a year here in Dallas for three days. The 2021 cohort, uh, both of them are about to meet for their second session together coming up in August, but you can apply to join the 2022 cohorts at life in the trinity ministry.com backslash 2022 cohorts i haven't been a part of the cohorts but i've gotten to be a fly on the wall uh, when they've met and it's just really wonderful to see the growth and the conversations in the community that uh, comes together here at the micah center again that's life in the trinity ministry.com backslash 2022 cohorts and uh, i'll put the link in the show notes as well now, on to Courtney Perry, Tony Jones, and the Enneagram Godmother. Here we are. Here we are. Hello. I love it. I love that you're in Dallas. I imagine you don't. Oh, no, it's it okay? good. I really, I feel like Dallas, for me, it's kind of home away from home. I mean, I fell in love in Dallas 10 years ago or whatever, 12 years ago. And of course, you remember, I used to come down here a lot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in fact, we're having a reunion of a poker table that I used to play poker with a, these guys who went to Journey Church, the uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Emergent Church that yep. was, Danielle. anyway, Danielle, Danielle pastored that yeah. for a long time. And so, yeah, we're playing poker on Saturday night, which should be a hoot. <laughs> That's pretty terrific. These guys go back a long ways with me, so we have a lot of. We went to worship there one time mm-hmm. over in Lakewood. We went to worship there one time, mm-hmm. and now Joe and I live right across the street. Oh. And that was our only connecting point there, and they're still doing great things out of that whole building and space. Except Journey's Not gone, there. Yeah, gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. Journey closed. And- Lost Steve Perry. <laughs> Steve Perry. Journey the band. That was like a tagline oh for Journey for All, Journey, not the band. I mean, yeah, it took it took yeah. a seven, so, you know, seven to seven. I'm glad you're here. This yeah. is why she's sitting in that seat. That worked out. Yeah, there well. you go. There you go. So, yeah, and we just looked at each other like. What are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Don't stop bleeding. Well, let's pretend yes, it's I've an Enneagram difference and not an age difference. Let's go fast. <laughs> yeah. That must be it. I have heard of the band. Uh, well, can I start with an apology? Of course. To whom? To the to the <laughs> to the uh, all the listeners, the whole listenership. Yep. For typing so loudly. <laughs> <laughs> In the background of Courtney's episode, I really, and also I didn't know I didn't know you all would be using the video. I record so many podcasts right at that desk. She was using my mic. You re- and the clip you released, I you could see me reaching over and like, no, that mic <laughs> needs to be closer. <laughs> But then there's video of me in the background, and then Courtney's like, Tony, 
I could hear you typing. In fact, Joel had to like do an apology at the beginning. Of yes. the I made intro. a little joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like affirmed now because I often just look She's at him and I, I do the like the cat gif like, and I'm like, this is what you sound like. <laughs> but have I you seen? Have type you seen, with intensity. Have you seen the video? Like, um, what would it look like if you if someone did? live their life aggressively they did everything aggressively uh -huh. and someone walking in the room slam in the door and like mm -hmm. like this is an eight video yeah it's, <laughs> I, I know i know yes that's my life. Yes. <laughs> the inability wildly. to whisper for instance so anyway apologies <laughs> apologies to that for that and also i was sick as a dog the last time i was here on yeah. your podcast and um but boy i've gotten so much i i'm i Kid you not, I got a voicemail last night mm -hmm. from someone who listened to that podcast, mm -hmm. who's an eight, and who listened to that podcast and then went in and resigned her job. Because she said, I, she, said she really resonated with the uh, part of the podcast where I was talking about at, at my work, former workplace, like everyone loved me as an eight, as a leader, when mm -hmm. I was like, on the team doing all the things they want. But then when my eightness came of like, let me tell you some things that are wrong about this place. Then mm -hmm. like, no, nah, no, nah, we're not so interested now. Bye-bye. And she was having the same experience and resigned you know, as a result. So That's anyways, hopeful. thanks mm -hmm. for having me on that time. And I'm so sorry to all the listeners for how, what a terrible head cold I had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what's different since then? Wow, for me, what's different is uh, I think I feel more settled. You know, one thing you and I talked about in that conversation was my struggle with lack of ambition. How do I even say it? Like you were afraid it had disappeared, or something. Yeah, and my I was so ambitious in my twenties and thirties, <laughs> so ambitious, and then it was like I was a locomotive that ran, you know, full at full speed into a brick wall and I didn't know and this is funny a friend of mine I was like I was kind of complaining to this buddy of mine about this you know like oh, I just feel like I haven't done anything and whatever and he he swore at me I won't swear on your <laughs> podcast but he, he swore at me with like the big one mm -hmm. blank you mm -hmm. he's like you've written a dozen books mm -hmm. You're, you know, you've, you have two podcasts, you're pitching a TV show, blah, blah, blah. Like, I would be glad if I wrote one book in my lifetime mm -hmm. and you've written 12 and you're complaining that you have. So it's just this, like, trying to bring my self-perception into alignment with my reality of who I really am. Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that I've worked on in the last couple of years since you and I had that conversation. I haven't found good language yet to talk about essence. People don't understand it when I talk about it, so admittedly, I, I haven't found it, and I'm working on it. But there is this place inside of us that I think um, is protected somehow from our personalities, but not protected from the personalities of other people. I don't think they can fundamentally harm what I call essence, but I think it's a pure place that's shocked by, oh, so you want me to be an eight here and here and here and here, 
but over here, that's not okay. And what I'm showing up to, to be every day is, I'm working hard on just being me, mm-hmm. or the, the totality of what that means. My hope in part for the Enneagram is that it shows us what's personality so we know what to let go of. Otherwise, I think we find ourselves in a position where we just say, well, all of me lacks value. All of me was caught up in something that was defining me from outside of me, and it's not true. Joe and I were with friends last night talking about trauma. I think aggressive numbers, not with the same methods, but I think aggressive numbers believe that they kind of can manage traumatic things. Mm -hmm. And you two have had a lot of trauma and unexpected, unwanted drama. And, you know, I don't think your essence jumps up to deal with that. Your personality has to. Mm -hmm. So when people negate the part of you that they appreciated, then I think we all go home with, okay, well, then what do I have? Who am I then? What do I have to offer? And... It's, I think it's very tricky. I think it's very, very tricky. And you two, as an eight and a seven, have the potential to come to the table with, I don't care, from the eight position. I did what was mine to do. Screw it. And from your position as a seven, of reframing all of that so that it's a perception that you can live with and both are... I think potentially both deny what I know over a lot of years now to be enormous goodness in you. Do you think that there, that there's a balance? Like there, at a low level, reframing is healthy and good. At mm-hmm. a low level, not caring is good too. Absolutely. So it's just like when we take it to the extreme mm-hmm. that, um, well, actually you do care, like you're not totally uncaring. Right. And then for me, um, well, not everything is good. So you have to yeah. realize that things are bad, but like a subtle reframing is good. And I think that's what I have. It's taken a long time to learn, but you know, there's a period of time where I really did. I was like, what, there's not any what is good of my sevenness, you know, I like going through that very difficult time kind of made me question the whole thing. Is this disingenuous? What's going on? And then rebuilding it in a healthy way is the journey I'm still on now, I think. Yeah. And and my question is, how do people get on the journey if they don't even know that it's personality? Right. Like if you can't see where you got lost, how do you, what breadcrumbs do you have to follow back? Yeah. You know, one thing I uh, one thing that's really been acute for me in the last two years, and you know, Courtney can reflect on this too, is I I'm like I continue to pay the price for who I used to be, mm-hmm. and that's been really challenging for me because I have people in my life like you two. Like, oh my gosh, you are so different now. You're redeemed eight. You're not, I'll have other people who 
unlike you will just be like, you used to be such an asshole mm -hmm. and you're just not really an asshole anymore. But I have, I'll be honest, I mean, like I've applied for jobs to lead organizations for which I am eminently qualified right. on paper and won't even get an interview. Mm -hmm. Like half dozen in the last two years of stuff I know I know internally I'm like I could do that like I could take that organization to the next level yep. and I've got the PhD for it and I've written the papers and I've got the network and blah 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 and truly like not even not even get it just like the form letter sorry you didn't make the round of interviews this kind of thing and I keep trying to be like what is it what is it and I just think it's um, who I used to be. And there's a legacy of that. There's a legacy of Tony, the, the fiery blogger. You know, all that stuff is still out there for people to see. And so I, and some days I feel like the, the injustice of it all. Yep. Because I'm like, don't you understand? Like that, I was just being an eight and trying to figure out who the hell I was, and I'm now 53, and I think I'm, I think I'm getting there to figuring out who, who it was, and I'm like learning to temper my personality, maybe to put these two terms you're talking about together, like to use my, to let my essence sand off some of the sharper edges <laughs> of my personality, right? And it's like there's been some grief for us. I mean, there have been tears. Courtney will be like, I can see it. I don't know why other people can't mm -hmm. see it. And I'm not saying all this because I want people to feel sorry for me because whatever. I mean, more what I've had to come to terms with is like, I just, at 53, I've told Courtney recently, I'm done applying for the, I'm done applying for jobs. I have got to go it alone. I, that's my, that's my path. I can't keep having people tell me that, I'm not a good enough person mm -hmm. to do this work. So I have to do the work alone. And it, as a very social, and you know, when you met me, oh my God, I was on a plane every week and yep. blah, 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 all that. All that's gone. And it's been an, it, that's been an interesting part. Now, I do want to say there's something, this won't, this won't surprise you, there's something absolutely magical about Courtney yep that I don't know if it's uh, I, you can you can be falsely humble in a moment but <laughs> I don't know if it's her personality or her essence I think it's probably her essence yeah me too that but she also has a kick-ass personality in that and it's like everybody likes Courtney everybody likes Courtney Courtney's super fun to be with and not everybody likes Tony. So we're like some of the, no, come on. I, it's, it's a, some of it is like managing that dynamic. And, um, but Courtney can, the, I guess all that to say, Courtney can see the Tony that Tony wants to be. So that gets exactly to what I wanted to say because you, you uh, in talking about the person that people, are still reacting to are the persona mm -hmm. that represented who you were at that time, what was happening in your life and what you, uh, you know, do you ever want to just carry a poster around that says 
you have no idea what was happening in my life. Yes. You have no (laughs) idea. You have all these opinions and you know nothing about what was happening. And I think that what you want, you said, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. And I, of course you don't. But I do think you want to be seen. I think everybody does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people truly, people with personalities like Courtney and Joe Mm -hmm. are easier to forgive than people like you and me. Mm -hmm. And it is that place where we jumped in different from completely different places but you and i jump in and then look around and see who's gonna get in with us Mm -hmm. and they love us in a way that they're there with a towel to help us out but they don't jump in too quick yeah which is a seven nine difference seven and nine difference from an eight and a two do you do you remember Eh, it might be a reasonable question (laughs) You did some really great teaching a couple of summers ago around context and the importance of context. Yes. What is it that we just, all nine numbers it seems, don't allow for the context to change? Yeah. Like so think of all the context that has changed around Tony Jones, Mm -hmm. but people are unwilling to... Well, I did do a lot about a lot of talk about context. Essentially, what I was figuring out was if you don't know the contextual ex- if experience, if you don't know what w- what was happening around what you are judging, then you you have no right to make judgment. You have an inclination, but you don't have the right to do that. And the assumptions that people make about people who are on a plane every week and who are writing books and who are speaking and who are successful. First of all, that life is a whipping. Yeah. It's a whipping. But secondly, it was costly to try to do that for the church. It was costly to be called to believe it was yours to do whatever. Called language is very tricky, but to believe that that was the path that you were supposed to be on and that you were being faithful to what you believed was yours to do. That's costly. Yeah, it's costly, but it's also really freaking addictive. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's one of the big differences between us is I've like been through all this trauma in my personal life and lost my public platform. And then I'm like trying to think of how do I rebrand myself? And I launch a new website and I'm like uh, writing, you know, wrote another book. And then um, I'm like starting to pitch a TV show. And Courtney's like, why would you do this to yourself again? again. Like, you're just now finally a private citizen and people finally aren't attacking you on the internet and you want to be a TV star? Are you insane? At (laughs) the same time, though, I completely see and recognize his gifts are in public speaking, curiosity, engaging people, exploring. I mean, his podcast is amazing. The pilot for the TV, this TV show that he's done are, they're incredible. And you, yes, you can see, I see those gifts. So I understand why he wants to do that. It's Mm -hmm. um, who he was created to be, but also I am uh, self-preservation and also, you know. (laughs) Whereas Courtney, on the other hand, 
is like, I never want to be in front of people. I never, you know, well, and then, on, on a grand scale. And, like, well, but then she goes through yoga teacher training. And now yeah. I go to her yoga classes twice a week. And this won't surprise you either. She's like a pastor. Oh, yeah. To these 60 people in this yoga studio. They love Courtney, you know, and, and she speaks with total confidence like any public speaker would endeavor to be like no ums and ahs no whatever like Courtney's just it's just flowing one thing after the other after the other and I'm like I always knew you could like I knew you were a great teacher um so yeah we get there by you know we really get there by different paths isn't that a great example too of doing dominant thinking dominant mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it seems in the, in the story Courtney's like Think about this before we do. And yes. you're like, you should do this. Yeah. You've got it. Yeah. And I'm yes. going to do this. And so then we'll true. think about it later. And <laughs> It's such difference. a big deal, which is dominant, and how we kind of enter into things, I think. So um, I'm going to tie some things together. If they don't fit, correct me. I was invited to come to, you know, they did this study out of Harvard with young entrepreneurs across the country who ended up in pastoral roles but weren't trained for them. Mm. And they met for weekends. I, I don't know the program design anymore, but they asked me to come do some Enneagram work with them, and I went. And the, the background is we have soul cycle people and yoga people and baristas and, 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 who are finding themselves with a community of people and they are the pastor. Mm-hmm. And they didn't desire to be a pastor. They're not trained to be a pastor. They don't know what to do. So we're trying to offer tools so that they can live into that role in a safe and healthy way. My sense is that without the work of the very beginning of emerging church, emergent church, all the names for it, by aggressive Enneagram numbers. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because nobody else could have done it. Yeah. That started to set the table for a Enneagram and a yoga teacher to be a pastor and use the Enneagram as one of many tools to be present to people and to hold them. Does that ring true? To both of you? I know well, that I would not be doing what I am attempting to do now if I were not married to Tony Jones. Like he is a source of great encouragement mm-hmm. and knowledge because of everything that he's been through and gone through. And, um, and I think mutually then like my thinking, my like slow down, let's think, um, and also his life experience. There's a little bit of natural like, encouragement we do to one another. Like I can say, like stop, let's talk about this, and he can say, just like you just have to do this. Like stop thinking about it and just mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but certainly, I mean, are you saying like the past? What we bring from the past has created our present, or is creating our present? Yes, my language would be is setting the table. What happened? Set the table so that we could even be in this way talking about offhandedly saying Courtney's their pastor. We could not have said that 15 years ago. Ah, I see. 
We could not have used those words 20 years ago for sure because what you and other aggressive numbers risked and gave yourself to set the table for alternative ways of understanding community, pastoring, presence, leadership, all of those things. And what happens, I think, in a cultural cycle that moves as fast as ours does is we can't hold much anymore because we're holding so much that we don't need. So we cut off the value and just keep the episodic moments to bring with us. Mm. And my sense has been for uh, a while that people are missing, potentially, the essence of Tony Jones because the the episodes dishonest though they were in representation in all of social media. The episodes were so uh, juicy Mm -hmm. and there was so much to push back against that people just brought the episodes and didn't even bother to think there was a story. And, And yet, there's good from all of that or Courtney wouldn't be a pastor. That's what I'm trying to say. You mm. set the table mm. for Courtney in her context to be pastoral by the work that you and others did, taking the church out of what we all knew it to be for a hundred years mm-hmm. and doing something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there were obviously larger cultural shifts going on as well, and it, with the decline of the church, I mean, we're just watching it happen um, right before our eyes. But people are still have those needs for community and for like spiritual guidance and advice. I mean, pastors you mentioned, yeah, the baristas, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember having conversations with you because another thing we were very aggressive about was new forms of media, like blogging or podcasting, whatever. And you know, conversations. Ah, that's you know, we don't really do that kind of thing. (laughs) We're just gonna write. Maybe I'll write an old-fashioned book. <laughs> and now here you are, you know, surrounded by cameras and mics. And it's like in your live teaching space, but now it's how do you yeah. pastor people? Yeah. Um, so we're all, you know, we're, we're all figuring this out. And I guess I just, um, one difference between us is you were going to do the kick in the door kind of thing. You know, like there's the old... Uh, I, I've often thought, oh, I, you know, I'll walk through any door that's open. Like, so, so some of these jobs, like people. I saw that post from, cause you talked about to set this up. I'm so sorry to interrupt yeah, no, you. No, no, no. Set up that's that right. you said you, you choose the open doors, Courtney. I follow the open follow doors. The open yeah. doors. Yeah. And then <laughs> when y'all talked about it, you said, I, I kick in the doors that I want to go through. Yeah. <laughs> I mm-hmm. kick them down. And that's, you know. And the struggle has been, you know, somebody will be like, I'm on the board of this organization. I want you to apply for this job. I think, you know, you'd be the perfect blah, blah, blah. And then you get in there and they're like, oh, sorry. Yeah, it turns out people didn't want you. You know, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, I thought there was a door open there and there's not a door open there. But on, on other things, um, and this is my encouragement to Courtney, oftentimes it's like you can't wait for the door to open on something like that. Like we have to launch Enneagram just but I don't know about the different levels and I don't think the photos are just right on my website and I'm like launch the freaking website <laughs> that's right they're easy to change and update so we're you know that's kind of the 
one of the differences between us. Um, and I think another difference that, we're, that we've talked a lot about is like I'm thinking way ahead all the time about like what are we yep. going to do where are we going to be what what are we, you know I'll say to Courtney um, hey do you want to go to that yoga class together next Thursday mm-hmm. and she's like I don't know what I'm having for breakfast mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like down the road and so we're you know that that part of my aggressiveness I think can be I mean, I think it was like really overwhelming to my previous partner and to Courtney, it's not. Like Courtney loves that. She'll say how much she appreciates Mm -hmm. that aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. She's not intimidated by my aggressiveness, I guess. And that maybe, I guess, what do you think? Is that her, there's so much self-confidence in her own essence. Mm -hmm. Well, she's also an aggressive number though. Right, yeah. Like, I, I think... Part of, of um, a thing to look at is Laura, LTM Laura, who works with us, and her husband, uh, Tate's a five and Laura's a three. And I, a few, you know, three years ago or whatever, they, I was doing some teaching about orientation to time, and so they decided they were going to work on that a little bit, and they went out to eat. Tate, uh, orientation time to the past, was talking about, you know, something that happened in some Bach organ piece or something. And Laura was talking about what are we going to do next Tuesday or what next Thursday yeah. let's do this. And she said we were so bad at communicating in the present moment mm. that I finally just looked at him and said, how's your hamburger? Mm. That, mm-hmm. was, that was the path they had to take to get to what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Real fast before you continue on can you give uh, a definition of some sort of pastoring like you're talking about for sure um my definition in this moment would be let's do one together so let's start with this being present to people in their vulnerability gosh i mean does it need to be anything more than that no, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we'll edit out all the shock and awe. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you think about the, there's teaching and preaching at a traditional church, um, but the element of pastoring is simply care. So, and, and creating space for learning and growing absolutely another context for it for people who don't understand the language you and i are speaking right now would be you remember the story about when joe and i first got together and we thought we were supposed to be missionaries and so we do this two-year discernment on whether or not we should be missionaries and we shouldn't be and yet we're in dallas and we are but that's a whole different thing so um what we finally got to after talking with wise people the pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Floyd Ada, Texas said, well, you know, there's prophetic ministry and there's priestly ministry. And prophetic ministry is calling people back to their gospel responsibility. And priestly ministry is being present to them where they are. 
that's pastoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And if you are not physically the perfect body for yoga, if you are not the right temperament for yoga, if you are not the right age to use your body, to teach your body yoga, the vulnerability is excruciating. Yes, yes. And, you know, I bring things in such as uh, there's a podcast called The Happiness Lab that I listen to. I listen to Hidden Brain. Like, you know, I'm trying to listen to all these things to, to bring it into the yoga classroom. And most recently what I said was, you know, dur- throughout class, I encourage people to do what they need to do for their bodies, to care for their bodies. Listen to your body. Please listen to yourself above what I am saying. I'm suggesting this stuff. Listen to yourself. So throughout the whole class, we're all doing something a little bit different. We look different, et cetera. And um, there, there was a podcast that talked about Confucius, the wisdom of Confucius, and ritual, and ritual being healing. Mm-hmm. And you can use ritual to suppress the masses and for harm. But where ritual is positive is in the attitude that people bring to it. So I said, when you're coming to Shavasana, that place where the time at the end of yoga where you rest, I teach at a gym, and inevitably there's people who are like, <laughs> like they're trying to still work during that moment, it drives me crazy. <laughs> so I prepare for that moment by saying, telling them that story and saying, you are, this is a ritual at the end of class. It is communal silence and you're doing it not only for the good of yourself, but for the good of those around you. This is about everyone. So bring that attitude yep. you know, to that moment of quiet. Um, and, and then there's a, vul- there's a new vulnerability in that moment of quiet for those p- people who give themselves to it that requires a new uh, kind of pastoring. I know your body can do all this stuff, but you're scared to be quiet. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Right? So yes. we're, we're going to do that too. Right. Now. Yeah. So you know what just struck me? What? We are sitting here. Because we, you and I first met at a women's retreat where you were teaching yoga and I was teaching something. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and here we are. That is amazing. It, it, yeah. It just all came around for me. And you know, I remember that weekend and I, I won't share specifics, but you had a, a really tough bit of news. I did. That weekend. And you were vulnerable with the whole group and you shared it. And um, that was powerful as well. You were opening yourself up in that moment to everyone. You let us hold that with you, even as you were teaching us. I left the house and said to Joe, I'm not telling anybody. Joel what did I last? Joe did something stupid. It <laughs> I said I was not going to mention any specifics. I, I went through the time frame, but I'm just picking up and like, man, I think the, uh, the unmentioned subject is sitting right here. <laughs> Oh, I'll never forget that. I said, I'm not talking about it. I'm not going to mention it to anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody. Like Tony uh, said earlier, I continue to pay the price for the person <laughs> who I used to be. <laughs> what do you think I lasted? 20 minutes? Oh, yeah. You were just like, I, I, wait a minute. I got to stop. I just got to tell you something. I just can't, can't go on without oh, telling you this. Oh, golly. But, but how amazing to think of that moment and then to see us here. Yeah. Wow. As who we are becoming. Yes. Tony, 
there's a question I don't like that I run across uh, a good bit in other folks, and maybe it's very helpful for some. I can't see how it could be, but maybe it is. And the question is, what do you want your legacy to be? As if you were in charge of that. You know, I, I, I think it's a, a question that has an ending, like that you have no idea what's between here and there. So I started asking myself once a year in my journal, what is my legacy this year? Mm. I want, uh, if you're willing, I'd like to rename that Tony, the pieces of Tony that I know from that time by suggesting that there's really great legacy from there. That is what you wanted it to be and why you gave yourself to it. And are you losing touch with that because of the inadequate information and reference people have for that is still kind of there. Well, I think I have kind of a multi-orbed response to that. I mean, on on the one hand, uh, because of my orientation toward time, I don't look back a lot. And then you add to that, you know, like the trauma of a failed marriage that was very painful and a custody fight that is very painful. It there's not a lot of incentive for me to look back because it's so painful. It like we something came up on the drive over here that reminded me of some incident. Oh, some yeah, one of the, like the worst weekends of my life. Um, and oh my god, I'm like I don't want to think about that. I don't even want to, you know. <laughs> but again, processing those is healthy and helpful. But. Um, I also think a ton about death. I mean, I think about death every single day. And, um, you know, there was, um, well, first of all, I'm reading a lot of Stoicism lately. And the ancient Stoics, they talked very openly and candidly about death and keeping death in front of you. And then in the Middle Ages, there was a thing called the memento mori, which is a reminder of your mortality. So it was very common to have like, um, you'd have a human skull on a shelf in your house. Or, you know, you've been to museums where you've seen medieval paintings Mm -hmm. and there's a painting of a skull. Mm -hmm. There'll be some flowers and a a hair that's being prepared for dinner. And then in the background, there's a human skull. Well, Mm -hmm. that's the memento mori. That's a, a reminder of your own mortality that's right in front of you all the time. Um. So, and I read, like, my memento mori is we get the old school paper, newspaper mm-hmm. every day thrown on our driveway, and I go out and pick it up, and every single day I read the obituaries. I read all, I look at the pictures, I look in the faces of everyone who's died in the Twin Cities, and it reminds me of that. So I do think about my legacy, and also having been a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals. So all those funny old tropes about um you know nobody talks at your funeral about how much money you made or whatever it's really true no one does no one gives a crap how much money you made 
or how big your boat was or how cool your car was. No one cares. They care about how kind you were. That's right. If you were a good parent, if you were a good step parent, if you're a good partner, um, that's what people talk about at your funeral. So I do think about my legacy. Um, and I know that part of my legacy, like uh, part of my legacy is going to be the bad stuff that people think about me or that was written about me on the internet. I just know that. Uh, but I also have, we, one of you stuck with us through really hard times. And a few people did. And one of them was a rabbi. And Rabbi Joseph, every time he sees me, he says, you saved three lives. That's your legacy. And of course, for Jews, for whom there's not really a, an established or sophisticated idea of the afterlife, the afterlife is you live on in your legacy on earth with both your children, but also everyone who knew you. That's, that's how you live on. That's the afterlife, yep. is how people remember you. Um, and he's like, you saved three lives. That's your legacy. That's the greatest thing you will ever accomplish. Mm -hmm. He's talking about my three children, sure. who I fought like hell to, to rescue from a t very toxic environment, and ultimately succeeded. Or who succeeded. you fought like hell to save, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or to save. There's a little, I mean... I, 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 I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I, I struggle with salvific language or well, sure. because, because I struggled with Messiah complex narcissism sure. earlier in my life. And I've worked hard in therapy and spiritual As many directions. AIDS do. Yes, of course. I thought I, oh, oh yeah. yeah. I thought I could fix it all. And I thought I could, you know, um, make everything okay. That's what I do. I fix shit. Like... I get up at five in the morning and I start fixing stuff. Yep. And um, so I, yeah, I, <laughs> he'll say that, you can say that, you probably won't hear me say that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so what do we do with this? Um, I'll tell you what your legacy is in my life. There's a picture of us at Christianity 21. I have on a black dress, I think, and a black and white sweater. We're standing in the aisle at a Methodist church in the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. And you have your arm around me. And I'm here in part because of that moment. Mm -hmm. Because of that invitation. Because of our meeting and what I am trying to begin to fight for in my way is all of these things are connected and you don't get to take out one piece. Mm -hmm. Not one good piece that it covers other things and not one bad piece. It is the fabric of our lives. And... Not to be confused with cotton. <laughs> I think that might be a trademark <laughs> we can't use that I suppose so one of the most pastoral wisest kindest people I've ever encountered in my life was my dad mm. both my parents but right now I'm talking about my dad so he, he, gets, he has a chance to go to Mayo Clinic 
He turns it down because he believes people who live rurally deserve good medical care. He goes to Floyd A to Texas. He and my mom build a hospital. He practices medicine there for 57 years. People adore him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he died, I was looking at some things on his desk, and there was a little bitty piece of paper. And on the paper it said, you know, I guess really, no matter how you live your life, the size of your funeral depends on the weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> or if there's a pandemic yeah. or something, you exactly. know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love that so much because he knew what he had done for people. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, and if it's raining... They, they made a show. <laughs> and I, I, so many things that are public are bigger than, and now with social media, you know, I, I, it's like being with y'all gives me flashbacks because I yeah. sat right back there and you said, www. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, I, I really think at that point I said, could you repeat that? <laughs> Yeah, because I did a social media seminar yeah, here, yeah, yeah. and you yeah. were you were just not at the table. No, I you yeah I you were that. you were explaining hashtags. Just, yes, yep, right. And I was back on. Was it three W's or two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that you gave people the tools mm-hmm. that they used. But you know what I've. You know what? I've also had to now. I mean, I think part of it is a factor of just getting older. You know, is there, there was so much energy that came from being an early adopter mm-hmm. and on the front end of that and on the cover of Christianity Today or whatever. You know, all that stuff that was happening. I mean, I wasn't on the cover, but our movement was on sure. the cover and and things like that. And then to relinquish that has been a great spiritual practice for me mm-hmm. of um, letting that go. Like I'll never be on the cutting edge of social media again. I was for a period of time. I won't be now. And I don't know. Again, I, I, I don't want to keep throwing bouquets at Courtney, but Courtney's been a big part of helping me be more okay with that yep you know um what replaces the energy though you know ace our energy looking for energy yeah you know what what for me um a lot of my energy i think now has become much more physical less mm-hmm. intellectual and more physical um my arms are all scarred up because i spent last weekend planting trees and pruning trees in South Dakota on farms where I pheasant hunt. And um, we go up north to this family lake cabin and I spend most of my time in work clothes with a chainsaw outdoors Mm -hmm. alone, just like deeply immersed in a a very physical activity. Mm -hmm. And I think as I've become more solitary of a human being, I'm just, I'm just, have way way fewer connections with with human beings than I used to. Um, I've that's where I probably channel my energy. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. And also, not only in 
this kitchen remodel, which you're doing yourself, overseen by your friend, um, but you're remodeling the kitchen because for years you've wanted to be able to do what you want to in the kitchen, to create and cook, like you're quite the chef. So the the meat that you hunt and harvest, Mm -hmm. you bring home, you butcher it, you prepare it, you make these amazing creations. So that takes a ton of energy. Mm-hmm. And so it's even not only in the physical labor outdoors, but the, the physical labor of creation. And how does that feel? Like, is, that in, is it in the creation that you find the energy or are you looking for how your family experiences it? You know what's been hard for me, and I think this is a big difference between the two of us, is that I, it's been really hard to let go of the public acclaim. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I loved every part of it. I love people recognizing me in airports or applauding at the end of my talk or emailing me about Mm -hmm. I changed their life because they read my book. I loved all that to to an unhealthy extent. And you have no interest in that. You don't want, you don't even want that. I do not want to be recognized. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've learned a lot from you in that. And like being, I can be okay with this accomplishment just for me or just for the family that's eating this bread I baked or something like that. It's, but that's, it, it, that has really been a journey for me. Do you think you had to have the physical energy dump? To get to a deeper part of you? Do you mean that's like the physical energy dump in that? that and hunting and. In that I need to engage that? Yes. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I do think that I had to channel that ambition. I call it ambition usually, but I think energy is kind of your, what you're mm-hmm. saying about mm-hmm. energy. It's a similar mm-hmm. kind of word. I definitely had to channel that somewhere because. I think it could have been very self-destructive. I mean, I really think that had Courtney and I not been brought together by God in the universe so quickly after the dissolution of my first marriage, I think, I'm, I mean, I'm sure I would have gotten into very destructive behavior mm-hmm. for myself. Yep. Sexually, alcohol, whatever, like because I just had this energy, and it was so much of it had been funneled into trying to rescue a marriage, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly that was over, and then you know I had to put it somewhere. Thankfully, there was a a partner came along who could (laughs) appreciate me when a lot of the world didn't, and could help me. Be healthy about that, yep. using that energy, I think. I hope I can tell the, the story but about that energy. When we were dating long distance, you know, getting to know one another when he lived up there, I lived in Dallas. Um, at one point, we're having this conversation and, and Skype, and he's like, look, I just, need this to, I just need to know that this is real. This needs to be real. And I was like, oh my God, this is so much pressure. Like, we're just like getting uh, to know each other. And like, yeah. but uh, you know, that kind of, like, I can't go through what I've just been through. I don't know where, where that was an energy of coming from where. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think a big difference between you and me is 
I have no trouble making decisions. All I do is make decisions. And you... Without not, thinking about them. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I don't reflect on them. I just make decisions. And you... Um, you stew and think and you weigh the options and you don't want to make a mistake and you want to follow your heart. And, and It's less what, that I don't want to make a mistake, more that I want to make sure I'm doing the absolute best thing for me possible, that I won't miss out. Yeah, like you'll say things like, but I don't know what I want. Yeah, yet. yeah. How can I limit myself when I don't know yet what I want? So, and see, what I think is you were both wanting exactly the same thing from the Skype call. You just phrased what you're looking for differently. Mm-hmm. I also relate. I don't. I feel like I don't have any gut. Like I don't have intuition, or you know, just to make decisions and do that. I got to think it through, and I, you know, I think that's a triad difference there. Absolutely. Of because Whitney has that where she makes some quick decisions, and I'm like, that's a quick decision. And sometimes she's right, sometimes she's wrong, but she goes with it and. I want to think it through too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't read the world with sevens. Just don't read the world with their gut. So, so intuitively, they have a weakness mm. that they make up for with thinking. Mm. And in terms of thinking, and I interpret that the other way around. It is. It is also. The fact that you solve problems before they happen in your head mm-hmm. as an eight. Mm-hmm. And Joel and Courtney try to prevent problems from happening because mm-hmm. they don't want to have to give themselves to the monotonous pain of trying to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, you know, with this journey, there's the... Uh, You've got your first half of the journey. I know y'all are talking about life in thirds nowadays, mm-hmm. but you know Tony's got. Here's what was, and now here's what I am today and who mm-hmm. I am today. Mm-hmm. And I was reading an article about a person that I'm not a big fan of whatsoever, and in it was a quote that I'm going to read real quick because it caught my eye, and you'll know why. Um, and it said, "Problems arise." If what got you there, meaning being just one of the moms, is not what you want to keep you there. Yep. And that was so close but different than you were teaching. Right. And so that seems like a hard thing to tiptoe and balance of, you know, you had all the success. Yep. But then life changes. And so that's kind of my vague, broad. The big broad thing is that what, what brought you here won't keep you here. And that's very difficult for aggressive numbers because it's like, wait a minute, it won't keep me here. Got me here. What, what, do I, what am I lacking? I got here. And the, the roads are different, but still what got you here won't keep you here. So you two have done so much good, good work around uh, healing and being and being honest and doing all that with integrity and all of that. And now what can only come moment by moment? That's 70 talking to 53. Mm-hmm. And when you started out making things happen, 
there has to be a fundamental change for you to be able to allow things to happen. Because you're not put together that way. You're just not put together that way. And that's not a wrong or a bad thing. It is eightness. And so to circle, not as a, an, a conversation ender, but to circle all the way back to the beginning, you started with, you liked me when I was an eight and all of my eightness until you didn't like all of my eightness. And that's because what brought you here won't keep you here. Joe and I are still working at 70 and 73 and plan to keep working, and we love what we're doing. And what brought us here, we, we cannot do what we did. We, I can't do it. So before COVID, I was traveling sometimes three times a month. Can't do it. I cannot ever do that again. So I have to have a new thing then to do. So from my position here between people who are younger than me who I love, the reality is that what brought me, Joe and me, to the Micah Center and to this space was my desire to teach 42 people comfortably in a room and our desire to have a place where people could come and learn adult spiritual practices for a better life and there are cameras and microphones and it's not we we almost don't get to teach here anymore Mm -hmm. except for cohorts because we never have 42 people we have to rent space now Mm -hmm. so what brought us here won't keep us here without all of this i've got a couple questions from online okay i'm all good really burning Jill asks, or says and asks, I've heard of couples who marry someone whose dominant number is a wing of their own um, in order to find what it is they are missing in themselves. Are you each other's dominant wing, or do you find what you're lacking from the other? Tony has heard me say this before, but I, like you, uh, do not identify my number with wings. And I see them, as Beatrice Chestnut calls them, as developmental opportunities. So I would say, like, I didn't, neither of us came into our relationship, in my opinion, with defined by a wing, defined by one or the other wing. Um, There's just so much more to who we are in our base numbers that define us in a bigger way. So um, I feel, I've never felt strongly six or eight, but I felt moments of drawing on that energy. And I do think that Yes, even in what we mentioned before about me launching Yenneagram and doing all of that, I do lean on. I know in my heart what I need to do, but I also it helps. I'll go to my eight and say, "Can you talk to me about that eight energy I need?" You know, encourage me in that. And I'd say I'd rather be married to a seven than a nine. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad about that. I mean, like I like. Again, I, I don't really know wings, and I defer to the masters uh, about whether wings are definitive of, of your Enneagram number or whatever, but I will say that I really, as an eight, love a lot of aspects of the seven in Courtney. Like, I love the... Um, okay, let's just take, for example, like, I like to plan and... 
go do stuff. Like I wake up at five in the morning with a lot of energy and I just start doing stuff. And Courtney wakes up a few hours later and then she starts doing stuff. But the nice thing about it being an eight married to a seven is she's always up for, she's always up to go do stuff. Like I say, oh, I really, can we get together with another couple this weekend and go out to dinner? She's like, yeah. It's never, she's never brooding. She's never like, that doesn't fit in my plan because there's no plan. It's just like wake up and follow the day. Mm -hmm. And if part of the day is like, I want us to go to the cabin this weekend, she'll look at her calendar and be like, yeah, let's go to the cabin this weekend. We can make stuff happen. So I, I think I love that about Courtney. I love, I love the Seven's willingness to like, what kind of restaurant you go to? I'll go into any, like, I'll, I'll try any kind of new food. I like new experiences. So that, that part, I think, makes us very simpatico, yeah. which yeah. I love. I think it's our stance that yes. we have in common more than mm. the wings. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So following that statement, Teresa's curious, can you all talk to how you help each other or how it shows up that you're both repressed feelers? We've done a yeah, lot it's of, good. We we've don't done have a lot of trials. <laughs> I like that part. Next question. I also no, like I'm that kidding. part. <laughs> we don't have to talk about uh, feelings. That's being a jokey because I when we. <laughs> but yeah, is it? <laughs> it's like when my my friend who told me that she listened to Tony's podcast. She's a mutual friend, and um, she's like, I really want to tell him how much it meant to me uh, your podcast that he was on, and I said, Well, you definitely please tell him. It would mean a lot to him, but he might crack a joke, yeah. you know. And, uh, but I, to be completely vulnerable, um, we, you know, when we first got together, when I finally was able to move up to Minneapolis, you know, there, for years, we dealt with major stress and pain. And I cried more than I've ever cried in my whole life. Um, he who rarely ever cries, there were, there were tears. There was often, we would just held one another. Um, so we had to process deep pain together mm -hmm. and it didn't also always have words to it, mm -hmm. but going through that together, um, we just have this deep understanding yeah. of where we each have been. I don't know if that's glossing over, or I don't know if that's, we're skipping steps by not having to speak out a lot of it, mm -hmm. but it is felt like we have done some deep feeling. Um, there were um, so many words that m more words w what could they have been other than you know the response was this is real and I'm here and I'm trustworthy and I don't know that you could have put words to that actually that the other one could have heard the commitment to as your two numbers, the commitment to bear witness to each other's pain just by being present to it will serve you and those you love well for the rest of your life because it's not the nature of either number to bear witness to pain and you two didn't have any choice. So I'm going to put a challenge on the table. And I'll be dead, and I won't know if you did it or not, unless heaven's something that I hope it's not. I don't want to know what's happening here. <laughs> but um, 
I would love it if when you're hunting and chopping down trees and uh, cooking and all, if you would think about uh, an intentional story for eights to read to find their way through dark times Mm. before you are no longer writing. And, you know, that's it, it's I, I would love for you to think of it as a map, not as a book about feelings. Because of the magic of the two of you and the reality of public persona and time and all of that, you are more aware of the pain in your life as an eight than most eights have to be mm-hmm. because they just keep moving. Mm-hmm. And there's not a train or a wall that stops them. They just keep moving. So the tools that people need that uh, I can't give them to them. The tools people need as eights to navigate hard times in life can only come from a navigator who did it. He has written this book. Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I've written, I've probably written some of that in that. Uh, in, in a memoir that I, that is as yet unpublished on that, but I'll I will think about that. You know, it's funny, Suze, because I, in some ways, it's like, well, it's a little unfair because Courtney, like I, can I get clone? Can I clone Courtney for all the eights out there who need a partner? Don't. Who's that? <laughs> it it even even when you're talking about this, um, like being feeling repressed and. The words, the words, that, you know, I'm a, I'm a very verbal, I'm a talker and writer and a word person, word person, word person. But I'd say, like, it's crazy, the, the thing that saved me and the thing that we have, and maybe I'm just thinking about this for the first time right now, but it's, we have a physical connection right. that... Uh, I've never had with another human being. And I look around at most people, even most married people, and I just see the way they sit next to each other on the couch, and I'm like, you don't have it either. And I have it. We have it. Like, we're very... um, I'm just saying, the physical closeness that we have has been... that's, That's been the feeling... I'm struggling even for words now, but it's like... That's where the feeling has been processed for me. Even so many times now, it's just like, screw the words. I don't, there's not the words. I just want to hold you. I just want to sit next to you. I just need that physical proximity. Mm -hmm. And so I guess then what I wonder for myself is, what did I do? Because I, I think, you know, we talk about, oh, the universe brought us together. Yeah, Joe and I do say And that. God brought us together yeah. and mm-hmm. things like that. But also, I am not going to denude myself of agency in that. That's right. Like something I did allowed someone this good yep. to become that close to me because that was an extremely vulnerable thing that Courtney did by allowing herself. And you're a very guarded person. You don't, you're not like open, vulnerable. That's not your vibe. That's not your posture toward the world. I am. Like I would have done the same thing as you. I would have gotten up at the beginning of that talk Mm -hmm. and been like, I'm just going to rip out my beating heart and Mm -hmm. put it on the podium 
right now in front of a bunch of strangers mm -hmm. because you might like me a little better if I do it. Mm -hmm. You'll cry and you'll laugh at my stories and then I'm a more effective communicator. And Courtney would do the opposite of that. And so what was it about me? What was it about that farm field that had been plowed so that Courtney felt safe enough to come close to me. And I swear to God, I don't know what it is. I don't know what I did. Because other people didn't feel that way about me. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, Courtney did feel that way about me. And that saved me. That saved me. Part of it saved you. Yeah. Now I'm leaning in for people who can't see what's happening. <laughs> you were asking about being a pastor before. Okay, well, here you here go. Here we go. But it is extraordinary for an eight who's in pain and who's been betrayed to allow that. To allow it? Yeah. I think I I think it was friggin' like a life lifeline. Yeah. You know. Well, you allowed it. Yeah. I mean I could, yeah. You you allowed it. No, you I appreciate took the that. line. You said I need help. You yeah. you you allowed it. And most Betrayed eights will not, their language is, I will never be vulnerable again. Yeah. I knew betrayal was a part of life. I didn't trust that. In head, yeah, in yeah. my head I knew, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it was. And right. I will but never I was going to conquer it. it. Yeah. yeah, I'll never do it again. And yeah. you did. Yeah. And so and, the uh, words will come, the words will come that explain, you, you got to just sign up again. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. You got to take another risk. Yeah, you, you got know? to. And maybe that's where you were. That's maybe why you were also willing to take. It was a huge risk. Mm-hmm. But an adventure. It was an adventure. Quite an adventure. Plus a little. I wonder. You've been overly kind to me <laughs> throughout this in your terminology and descriptions. I wonder if. Eights don't receive this kind of praise because people don't think they need it. Mm. And actually, you are an incredible human being. That's why I fell in love with you. Yeah. Because of who you are. You know, it's fascinating because I realized somewhere when I first started reading about the Enneagram that one of the children would bring home a report card that was great for them. Joey would bring home straight A's and hers was taken for granted. Yeah. Joey would babysit starting at age 10 and a half, and that was taken for granted. Mm -hmm. All of that eightness stuff just gets taken for granted because you, you do it with, so fast mm -hmm. and with such ease. And it, it's, hard, it's hard to give an eight room to be other than their utilitarian purpose in our lives. So it, it's hard to set the table for an eight to be. And yet the spiritual practices, you got to learn to be and quit doing. Shavasana. Yeah, my, I, that's right. I mean, I feel like my drive to, is to tell the world I am competent. Yep. And one of the things I say probably way too much to Courtney is when I, other people are doing things, I'm like, that person just lacks competence mm -hmm. at doing something. And so that's a very high value for me to be competent. And then to, 
for it to turn out to be that I was incompetent at marriage mm-hmm. was that that kneecapped me, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, any of us who are parents, your incompetence as a parent is constantly <laughs> being shown to you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a humbling journey to be a parent and to be a spouse. Um, so, I think. But do you find incompetence exciting in in your own way? Like in if other I can people? overcome it. No, it, no, oh. no, like I, I am recalling a specific story. Uh, Joey and Billy and the boys went skiing. They didn't handle the all the photos that they took that they paid big money for and all that. They started arguing that they didn't know Joey the photos. She's on her phone, and I could. She just got more excited by the minute. Like they weren't competent in their argument. She's oh. taking them out with A, B, C, timestamps, this, this. Uh-huh. Here's the receipt. And she literally went, oh. <laughs> it was like, oh, I've got you. <laughs> do you well, know? I think do you, that, yeah. That's about the energy, though. That's not about competency. If, it had, if the other person had been competent yeah. and right, she would have still had the same energy because that email exchange and the back and forth. Yeah, that's probably right. That's probably right. There seems to be a little of. No, there is for sure that. Oh, my gosh. Does that remind me? I mean, the reason I'll, I'll take the longest story and make it really short. The reason I got custody ultimately was because I put together a 1043 page sheaf of exhibits time-stamped emails, transcribed voicemails, just go down. I had it all, and I brought it to my attorney. And this was like, I'd been divorced for five years already or whatever, and I, we were just in this custody thing. And I, brought, I, had, I had done the work for my attorney better than she could have done it, and trust me, she's the best divorce lawyer in, in the Twin Cities. And I was like, dropped it, you know, dropped it on her table in her conference room like, here you go. I did it. Yep. And she was like, holy crap. And sure enough, you know, it worked. I wish the rabbi was here. <laughs> I, know, I know. Right this minute. I just you wanted would to love be. Him. Well, you I just wanted to be right him. here. I've seen you with him on, you yeah, know. Yeah. But I just wish he was right here saying, you saved three lives. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, I mean, I can see that. I do see that the, the incompetence of others maybe in a particular field or whatever is a challenge. I also... Um, feel like when I see a new endeavor and I want to conquer it, you know, like I want to become, how do I become the best deer hunter I can be, mm-hmm. you know? How, and, and for me, it's, it's so funny now, people are like, oh, you can just watch videos on YouTube and it'll teach you. But I don't want to, like, I want to get out in the woods and, sure. and bring that energy, yeah, that I want to, I guess, bring that energy out there and, and transform some endeavor into something I feel competent at. Which, honestly, like, I'm not trying to conquer it or be the best in the world at it. I want to be, like, add it to my toolkit that I'm confident at it. And I, yeah. Well, I think what you're saying, too, and I think it's a great example and way to teach the true definition of the need to be against. It's not the need for fights. Right. It's not the need for for conflict necessarily it's a need to come up against something and get over it and Mm -hmm. to be competent with Mm -hmm. it and people often 
think it's, oh, eight's just want to butt heads with everybody. Yeah. No, it's, it's hunting. It's mm-hmm. competency. It's the emails. It's, over, it's overcoming. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think I, I think I used to think it was fighting. So that's not an unfair depiction of me as a 30-year-old eight. Right. But when you say, now I'm a 53-year-old eight. Yeah. And people are like, oh, he wants to fight. And it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm done yeah, fighting. I really don't. I'm so done. I mean, we talk about this. It's just like, I am so over drama. I am so over drama and over conflict. And it's funny because, again goes back to your point of like what brought you here is not what keeps you here drama and conflict is what built the emerging church movement that's right we were up in the grill of bishops and district superintendents Mm -hmm. and on and on that was our whole thing and it made us famous and then guess what it also was the very thing that people ended up resenting was how much conflict we provoked and let me say three things. One, nobody could have done it but aggressive numbers. Right. Nobody could, but aggressive numbers couldn't carry it on because that wasn't your role. Yeah. Two, we're coming out of COVID restrictions. Churches have no idea how to start being churches again. True. And I guarantee they're going to be looking back at those models because that's all they've got. That's all they've got. The church where Joe is on staff is not opening with the same old way things used to be. They are saying, well, we watched all this time and our first week of everything being virtual, everybody showed up at 11 for worship and now they show up the majority on Thursday afternoon. So we're gonna evaluate Thursday afternoons, but there's no model except what was done. There, there is no, no model. It's true. Yeah, I think, I think it would be so smart for somebody to start promoting those books again because they have the answers. I have an eager question. Only Phyllis were here. Oh, man. She is. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're, they're talking about Phyllis Tickle for people who don't know. Uh, I have a question about anagram and divorce. Tony, when you're saying you, it was, am I not competent? Is that for every anagram number in that space? I mean, sometimes when you get divorced, I don't know, we got, we got three people who have been divorced in here. Mm-hmm. For you, was the in the low side, I'm not wanted. Well, so we have four Whitney, people. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we don't want to leave anybody out of the divorce circle. <laughs> the divorce circle. We have one person in here who was not divorced. <laughs> With Whitney, it was, I'm not good. Like, I'm not... That's right. I'm not good enough. And for me, it was, I'm not wanted. I, I, I get it. Nobody wants me. So why would you like that's. And for me, it was, I don't fail at things. Uh You know, as for me, it was, I feel bad for disappointing people. Like, did I make, was I hasty? And what, like, did in, I not think it through long enough? Yeah, yeah, that's what it came to. And it, it, and mine was an amicable split. It was, we realized we just weren't helping one another, sure. weren't growing together. Um, so it was sad. But I also knew there was something better out there. 
So the, mine's not as maybe succinct, um, but it was, yeah, maybe I, I must not have thought this through enough, yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, I have the advantage of in this moment is meeting your first husband. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I would say about people who are a little more uh, hesitant, the things that we are talking about in them, I, I do think that there's the opportunity to have fewer regrets than those of us who are more aggressive and less thoughtful. And I I also, and I know this is tricky territory, but I believe that things have a season. Relationships have a season. Friendships have a season. Mm -hmm. And you can't extend them past the season. It doesn't matter how committed you are or how hard you try or... Mm-hmm. You know, that's so interesting. This is another thing we talk about. Courtney really has no trouble walking away from a friendship that's not serving her. Like a marriage that wasn't serving her. And a friendship that's not serving her. She'll just be like, is that right? Like, Oh, yeah. I had a, my longest friend for since I was in seventh grade this past year. He and I are no longer friends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a bummer. Doesn't make sense to me. And... My life's pretty full right now. Yeah. I, on the other hand, like, if, if a friendship ends, I think, well, did it, how, how did we fail at that? You shouldn't have, you know, like, it, this, is a, this is something I can succeed or fail at, and it seems like I'm failing at it. So I've learned a lot from Courtney on that. And another thing is this word, you know, it, it's like hashtag no regrets, right? But... I do have regrets. Yeah, me too. And Courtney's often like, well, no, no regrets. I'm, I'm moving forward. I don't, I'm not going to dwell on the past and have regrets. But I, I do feel like I have regrets. On the other hand, I texted my three kids in a group text on what would have been my 24th wedding anniversary, meaning I had been married for 12 years and now I've been not married to her mm-hmm. for 12 years. And so, um, and texted them as traumatic and difficult as it was, I don't regret that marriage because the three of you exist in the world as a result of that marriage, as painful and traumatic as it was. So I, there I'm like embracing, there are seasons in life, but I'd struggle with this idea of regret. I don't, I don't want to dwell on the past at all, but I think it is okay for me to admit that I regret some things. Oh, I regret things too. I'm yeah. I'm just saying I think there are are um well two things can be true. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think there are certain personalities individually and together who because of how they live their days and the pace and the thought and mm-hmm. the have fewer regrets than those of us who are moving faster. That's probably true. Yes. And I'm a non-aggressive number that moves fast. Mm. And I... The only time Joe and I have used that language much is when our parents were aging, like at the end of their lives. And we got little kids Mm -hmm. and four parents. And Joe and I didn't know how to navigate all of that. And we just kept making decisions about our parents and our children with us here in the middle, what is the decision that we will most likely not regret? 
<laughs> because there yeah. wasn't a good decision to make. No, that's right. Mm. Yeah. 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 So that word served some some goodness there, I think. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about, let's imagine for a bit. What do you think is coming post-COVID? You know, we have take, kind of taken a year of all of this. And one of the things that's coming through here on the, could Suzanne come talk about this? Could Suzanne and Joe talk about this? Is what, are, what about, what effect did COVID have on relationships? And what's going to happen as we emerge from that? So full disclosure, Joe started full-time work again on Sunday morning. And today is when? Thursday. It's been a hard week. Hmm. I uh, have some big stuff on my plate with my new book that's due, and I didn't quite see it coming right this minute. And Joe went back to work, and we have a, a, a slab leak in our kitchen, and Joe's at the church, and I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where the hell did you go? How, how is this my, well, this is my first week. Well, this is my last week with this project, right? I think there's the potential that there's going to be a lot. And I would kind of start like to laying ideas of, well, I wonder what we have to offer to it that will make it less painful or less destructive or less uh, peppered with regret. Like it's Thursday, and I have been kind of bitchy now mm. for three of the four days. <laughs> Just saying. And to, to my point, Joe has been stoic and about his agenda and all that. Like I'm not the only, the only <laughs> villain in the game, right? It's just that all of a sudden we're back in it. It's as jarring as everything closing down. Mm. You know, we're... We're not the best ones to speak to that because we were freelancers prior to COVID, yeah. during COVID, and nothing's really changing in that regard. Um, so we, even though sometimes things have been tight financially, we are not stressed. Like we, and we, have, we talk about how grateful we are for the time that we have together and how we couldn't imagine spending more time in a workplace yeah. than we do at home. Yeah. Um, I, do, I was called and asked to shoot a video recently and I said, you know, and I had time to do it. I could have done it, but I said, you know, that's not where my future is taking me. I'm, I'm moving a little bit more in this yoga and Enneagram direction and still photos take a lot less time. Like I'm still doing that photography. I love it. Videography, editing videos takes a lot of time. I was like, I, here's the name of a guy who I think you should do for, use for this video. He's just learning video and it, he would be great. Like he's going in that direction. So I could have done something. I turned it down. I gave it to a friend who I know mm-hmm. it will appreciate it. And he did. And it felt great. And I, I do think that more people post COVID are going to be saying no to things. But the, like you said, the tricky part is if you're, if there's a structure above you 
that's the American corporation, even if it's in the guise of a church, <laughs> you sure. know, it's like, it's, there's still that expectation, the three expectation of our culture. I think people are going to be shocked at what comes back. You know, the, those people who are saying, oh, it'd be so good to get back to the way things used to be. There is no such thing. No such thing as the way things. I think I think you're right in that it's gonna like you both said in different ways. I think it's gonna kind of hit a big reset button on a lot of things, and I think that I think a lot of companies are they they used COVID as a pretext to lay people off or to trim trim their sales. No, they're just always looking for ways to lay people off. I mean, that's what corporate America does. It's like, how can we become more efficient? Well, we become more efficient with less personnel costs, and we do that by firing people. Oh, it's COVID. It's COVID. Bullshit. You're just doing it because you want to make more money, and you make more money if you pay less people, and you can automate more things. So, I mean, I think there are some trends that are going to continue. Um in our culture, just because we're completely beholden to capitalism. Uh, I think that, you know, like uh, hunting and fishing license sales were through the roof Mm -hmm. on COVID because it's one of the few things you could do. Mm -hmm. And it'll be, I don't know that that will continue because the trend lines on those generally are down. Less and less people are doing stuff outdoors uh, all the time as we become more urbanized culture. I think you've already said you know, churches, I think a lot of churches will close in the next five years because they kind of had enough money to get through COVID. But I mean, people are going to be like, I got real used to doing other things on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Maybe have the Facebook live on in the background Mm -hmm. while I was, this is what my mom was like. I usually have church on the background while I'm doing my jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, are you going to go back? Well, if my friends go back, well, are your friends going to go back? Like, I don't know. But I will just say this one specific thing is that, you know, I think now I come at this from a very privileged position and title position. And, uh, you know, I, I want to admit that and acknowledge that, that like I have two kids in college and, you know, our culture, at least our our version of cult, of Western white affluent culture is you finish high school and then you go have these four years it's mm-hmm. like the amish room springer but it's four years instead of one year <laughs> yeah right yeah that's perfect that right? is the perfect <laughs> yeah. analogy and that's been taken away from my kids and i'm in all these facebook groups with other parents who are like we gotta reopen college I, you know this is bullshit let's reopen college and let get the kids back to college and you know what i agree with them i want my kids to go back to college because it is just in the way we've structured our society. It's not even about like, I want my kids to get their degrees so that then they can go get jobs, whatever. You don't need a degree to get a job. But that the way that we've structured adolescence is part of the way that these kids learn to be adults is they go away for four That's years. Right. Get out of our house. Go interact with your peers because, and I see it, you know, as, as a parent of, of 16, 19, and 21, especially with the advent of phones, most of my peers are so involved in their kids' lives. It is crazy. Amen. They are, they are everything, every movement their kid makes, they yep. are tracking. Yep. 
And our kids need to go backpack around Europe. And yeah, guess what? Get in trouble yeah. and like get arrested and get thrown in a Spanish jail overnight. Like whatever, just go do some stuff and become an adult because that 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 identity i worry about this that going back to eric erickson and the identity yep. crisis of yep. adolescence and differentiating yourself from your family of origin yep. man covid has made that really hard because the kids are just sitting in their rooms on zoom yep that is not college isn't about reading Plato. I mean, it is about reading Plato, but it's about reading Plato and then going to get drunk with your buddies and then going out for the ultimate Frisbee team. And so that is one thing that I really worry about is that our whole education system is like, hey, we can educate people a lot cheaper online. It's more efficient. And that, that frightens me. Our, we, Joe and I made very intentionally sacrificial choices for our kids to be able to go away to school. And when they finished school, our gift to them literally was a bed. Yeah. And we told them to go find a place to put it. Amen, sister. Yes. And it is one of the best gifts that we gave them. Yeah. Because that living at home and... Mom had some Ooh, laundry to baby. do, so she did mine. And I, I don't know how much groceries cost. I, I'm sorry I left the meat out. You know, it's all like, that, all of it, all of it. You, you don't, don't learn, learn it at home. At home. <laughs> you do not. You need to get out. And as a step parent, I mean, we love my three kids. They're incredible yes. human beings, and I feel very, very fortunate. They're healthy and they're smart, and they're going to be successful. They're going to be fine. But they also need independence. Yep. And I do worry how COVID will reshuffle the deck on that. Because I don't think college was just some like bougie enterprise uh, for, for richy rich kids to go sit in fraternities. I really think it's an important stage of late adolescence to get the hell away from your parents and figure out who the hell you are. Especially in a culture that just continues to delay the end of adolescence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it drags on. So, uh, that I mean, when you talk about relationships, I think that about the relation, the, the parent-child relationship. Um, and then I'm in the same boat. Well, we both are. We're in the same boat that you were in years ago. Like we have, we're in the we're the sandwich, you know. Yeah. And then we've got aging three aging parents. And, uh, you know, COVID was tough for my mom, who's a, you know, 77-year-old widow at home. And after Christmas, she was like, all right, we all saw each other, we risked it, but now I don't want to see anybody until I'm vaccinated. So that was like three long, dark months of Minnesota winter and, you know, tough on her mental and emotional health. And then you just... Multiply that by the number of elderly we have in our in our society. That's going to be tough too. I think. Yeah, I'm really concerned coming out of this in relationship to that. That the perception is going to be: I zoomed with mom this morning, and she seems fine. Yeah. And what Zoom won't show you is a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Speaking of relationships, also 
will you talk some on either way about being a blended family, co-parenting, ups and downs, goods and bads? More and more, I mean, just this is a obvious point, more and more divorces, more and more blended families, and less and less of the, what's the term for a nuclear, yeah. Well, divorce is a sin, so I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> there you go, that's that. <laughs> well, one of the things that I, I just would like to, if you're comfortable talking about, uh-huh. is I'd like to, be, to have this, part of this be, that having children wasn't what you were looking for. Right. I never wanted. I yeah. knew. I knew. So for, I think that's a because I think women are afraid to say that. Yeah. So you'll give them permission, but I also think it's we keep working to talk about blended families because it's such a reality. Mm-hmm. So as you begin to talk about it, I, 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 I um set the table with as much as you're comfortable with so that it doesn't look like, well, because of age difference and because I got a divorce, I hadn't, didn't have children yet, but I really always wanted children. I got these three children. And it's also like, you know, I don't want, <laughs> yeah. So grand. yeah. Yeah. You know, I reached out to Ray Lynn after the interview you did with her uh-huh. and her husband. Uh-huh. And, um, I, I told her how much I appreciated that she is a two, and she, when she was entering into marrying a man who had a child, marrying a man who was a widow who had a child, um, people told her, oh, you're a two, you're going to be such a great stepmom, you're going to be such a great mom. People said to me, oh, you're a seven, you're going to be such a great stepmom. And for both of us, for Raylan and myself, the answer is no. Like, and exactly what you said, the context. Do you, no one has any idea what the context is. The context of, um, I never thought I would have kids, the context of the trauma that I was stepping into, and these you know, poor young souls who were very confused, you know, took a long, long time to uh, ha- begin to have a good relationship with them. So oftentimes, Tony will describe the situation, and I would totally agree with him, as like he's been a single parent, who is married to someone who helps him, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I help the kids, you know, I've, and I do love them. Um, but it's always been Tony's the parent and, uh, and I'm the helper in some way, some weird way. So there's no good name for it. And step parent, step child, those, those words are completely unique. They have a unique definition for each situation, as you know. Um, and they don't so, fit ours. Right. And, and so my situation really only speaks to my own and not to anyone else's, and I, I have no advice, you know. I, all I know is we have put each other first, and we have struggled through, but we've made it, and we're making it. Yeah, I, uh, my kids hate that term, stepmom. They're like, that seems so weird. Courtney's not really our stepmom, because Courtney is not maternal in the traditional sense, okay? That's not... Courtney's posture toward the world, nor toward my kids. I remember one time we were on a family vacation and my brother who was divorced and remarried, his wife was braiding his daughter's hair. She was very intimately connected with her stepdaughters, braiding their hair and painting their nails and doing stuff like that. And I remember thinking, even talking to Courtney about it like, 
why don't you do that? You never even really touch my kids. Like there's no physical intimacy at all between you and my kids. And so I had to recalibrate my expectation of, I mean, first of all, there's the whole step evil stepmother, yeah. like Disney persona that's very dominant in culture. Oh, it's just yeah. an ugly term. And then you've got the other, like, oh, you need to step in and be, like, here's Tony. Tony's this kind of masculine presence in the world, an an eight, like, outdoorsy eight who swears a lot and whatever. Won't it be nice to bring in this, like, maternal, soft, feminine presence, especially for Lily, my daughter? Right. Oh, that's not really the role Courtney plays at all. Um, So... I, people ask about that, and it's funny, like on college forms, you know, I, financial aid forms, I have to fill out stepmother. Whatever. I'm like, that's always a little weird. But people ask, what role does Courtney play? And I struggle, like, well, Courtney's kind of like an, like an auntie. Well, not really. Courtney's like, not really like an older sister, not really like a dad's girlfriend. I mean, it's just like the, 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 the terminology doesn't quite fit. But we've made it work. And in part, like, because of my situation, it it would have been inappropriate for Courtney to come in as a maternal figure to my kids. They would have freaking hated that. They would have resented it. We had enough of a bridge to build between Courtney and the kids as it was without Courtney trying to be like, let me be a mom to you. I'm like your second mom. We would, oh my God, that would have been terrible. Disastrous. So, well, I just want to say, yeah, I want to say one other thing that was really, really freeing for me and really helpful for me and, like, was such a boon to my confidence is when Courtney first started saying a few years ago to people, Tony's a single parent. I don't parent those children. Tony's a single parent with a partner who helps him with the groceries and the dishes and the laundry which I couldn't do without that help. But it was Courtney's acknowledgement that like, when it comes to the emotional aspect of being a parent, I'm carrying the entire load myself. <laughs> no one is helping me. No one's helping me decide, well, is this kid going to play hockey this year or should he go out for basketball instead? <laughs> no one's deciding, like, should we have our kids go through the confirmation program at church? Nobody was helping me decide... When I discipline the kid, am I going to take their car away? Are they going to be grounded? Are they going to have to mow the lawn? Like I make all those decisions 100% myself. There is no one else. So in that way, I am like a true single parent. But then I've always worried a little bit like when I say to people I'm a single parent, they assume I'm unmarried. (laughs) Yep. You know? Right, because... I'm a single parent who's married. So the two of you have so much integrity, you've decided to be honest about all of that instead of give the world what they want. Yep. I guess. Right? And so since you're not giving the world what they want, then there is an opportunity. You will hear from somebody. When this this podcast airs. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. What will they say? They will say, oh my gosh, that's me too. And nobody ever. Some man will say, I'm a single parent. Yeah. And I need all this help, but I'm doing the parenting. Mm -hmm. And the assumption is that the woman's doing it. The assumption is that the woman wants to do it. The assumption is that the woman is equipped to oh, do yes, it. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. It's fascinating. I will say this. I will say here's how Courtney helps me parent on occasion. 
I will be in the middle of something with one of the kids and I will feel my phone vibrate in my pocket. <laughs> and I will know it's Courtney texting me from another room saying, maybe you shouldn't be shouting right now. That might not be super helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> totally right, alone. Right, right, I right, occasionally right. get a text message mid-argument <laughs> with some parenting advice. Step yeah. away. All right, child. Joel. Uh, I, I'm... I insist right now that you kind of now uh, talk about you and Whitney because I thought of the name of the book and the name of the book, it's by Sam Summers and the name of the book is Situations Matter. Mm. And there is no taking these two humans with these three children in the situation in the context of their lives and having that be a blueprint for anybody. It, yeah, and there is no way, Joel. So, so just put a different blueprint on the table, please. Well, and that—that that was my whole point of like, according when you first started talking, you're like, I don't know if I have any advice. I wanted to hear the story. Like, mm. I wanted to hear exactly what y'all said because, like, you heard from Ray Lynn and Matt's story. They didn't give advice. They're like, man, here's what here's what we're doing, and some things work and some things don't, and and it looks different than everyone else and it's a hundred percent correct you know my mom's right that there's someone listening like oh that you've given permission mm-hmm. to say oh okay i am more like that and not like this and our world has changed so much and we still have the same stupid words and yeah. dictionary yeah. from 50 years and from 70 years ago right and it hasn't expanded so, and all those words come with expectations. Yes. Yeah, yes. And so, yeah, so our situation looks very different and is ever-evolving. We're still trying to figure out the roles that we play in the lives of the other's children that they brought into this marriage and mm. into this house. So, for, for instance, the other night before we were going to sleep, Whitney thanked me. Our son Jace has ADD, and from her, our son Jace from her marriage, previous marriage, he's got ADD, and the kid just can't eat a meal. I mean, it's impossible for him. Darn, and that's not, I'm not abusing the word impossible. <laughs> and uh, I'm always trying to figure out how much I'm supposed to do because it's driving me insane. I have expectations of my girls and at the dinner table. They reach those expectations. I understand, Jay says it. You know, how much do I keep it all locked inside and just shut up? And how much do I, like, oh, my God, dude, you got to eat the food. <laughs> and we have to get up and clean the table and go about our night. And so then the other night, you know, Whitney, we've had hundreds of talks. And the other night, Whitney was being stern with him about the food. And I chimed in with the positive, hey, buddy, you, you got this, man. You can eat it. And. Into it, and she was grateful for that. And that's not how it always is. And she doesn't know how much, you know, we really walked the line with getting Jolie's haircut recently because we didn't, we didn't want her biological mom to be, it didn't go super well like three years ago when we did it. And so, but she needed a damn haircut. <laughs> and so it's okay, how do we, and I know that's not, I don't have that. I can't tell her what haircut to get, how to do it. I have no, you need help. Nothing. And Whitney brought that to the table 
and it's just constantly it's constantly changing. And then we've got Josie who's there all the time. And so then we've got these two sets of rules. Where does Josie fall? And then we've got Gracie there some of the time. And how much do we, neither one of us are her biological parents, how much do we parent her when she's there with us as a sibling to these other three kids? So so just every, and yeah, there's no, we don't use step brothers or sisters because it is such a, it's so negating. You, you have two layers of complexity that we don't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, you two. have th- three. You have kids with three different sets of parents, and we have, you know. So four. that's you know. Four. All, all four of our kids have different. Don't have the same two, two biological parents. parents. Yeah. So it's fun. It's an adventure. Yeah. It's an adventure. Yeah. It's an adventure. <laughs> I, I want to. Yeah. That's. I want to recommend another book that your book reminds me of. And, and I think is helpful for all this that we're talking about. And it's called The Situation and the Story. It's a book on memoir by Vivian Gornick. And um, it's a book on how to write memoir. But it's really about how to write your life story. Everybody has a situation. Like everybody has a great anecdote that's going to open their memoir. That's right. That funny as hell story from Floyd Data that you tell. You've got that one story that you're like... If I tell this story, gold. I got them in the That's palm right. of my hand right. for the next 90 minutes. That's I'm right. good They're to mine. go. They are mine. And so she's like, everybody's got that. Everybody's got those great anecdotes. But the, the point of a good memoir, and I think I might go so far as to say the point of a life, is to, she's like, but what's the story? How, what, what does that anecdote, and then where does it go from there? What's the narrative arc of that life? So that's just not a standalone anecdote that wins the audience over, but ends up being like, how is that person in that story, in that situation, different when you get to the end of the story? Like, how does how does that person change? Or I've been reading a lot about the hero's journey by, you know, Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. like going from the upper world to the underworld, confronting your demons, meeting the goddess, and then emerging out back into the upper world as a changed person. And guess what? In the hero's journey, the the hero always has something that always has something to share. He or she, they come out of the underworld with a booty or a mm-hmm. gift. Mm-hmm. That, and at the, in, in the 12th part of the 12-part journey of the hero, there's, I have something for, for you. you. I'm going to give you something. And, that, and they make the upper world better as a result of their trials and their journey to the underworld. So this kind of thing of like now what do we, all of us, when we're talking about like step parenting and blended families, and we've been through that underworld period and now we're coming out and like what do we have to offer these this crazy conglomeration of biological children sitting around this dinner table you know and what brought you to dinner that night won't get you dinner (laughs) in august it won't won't, it's a different story in august yeah yeah Yeah, you know cheryl fullerton when i our friend cheryl fullerton when i'm when i put a story in one of the enneagram books to start something yeah one of my golden stories if I'm in the room with people and she'll just uh, send it back to me and say, "Uh, you'll notice the first story's missing. missing. It had nothing to do with this chapter. (laughs) And I go back with, but it's gold. It works when you're preaching. It does. It works when you're preaching or public speaking, but it does not work in 
telling a fully fleshed out story right. of a life. Right, doesn't. Then it, it has to be woven back to the fabric. It, it has to be woven into the fabric. And I think, I think that's such an important part, Joel, like even that dinner, you're going to look back and be like, how does that, how did we, the way we dealt with it that night, like he didn't want to eat and he didn't want to do his dishes. And then you weave that into the story of your lives and your marriage. And because it's going to be different in August. Yep. And, you know, you're going to just keep weaving these situations in as you build out the bigger story. So, yeah, I mean, I think back to the earlier point, one of the things we've done well is you call it honesty. I like that. I'm, I'm down with that. You know, that's, I think one of, the virtues I bring to the world is honesty. And we've just been honest about that. Like Tony's a single dad or whatever. And I, I hope that people feel empowered. Your listeners feel empowered. Like whatever that life situation is that you're in, just freaking call it what it is. And don't apologize if you don't fit in the categories of father, mother, right. stepfather, stepmother, feminine, masculine, whatever that people expect you to fit in well and, and once you try to live into what people expect you lose yourself you lose your yeah. own story and who you are and so then parts of your life that are real and that work for you and that make the children's lives better and your lives better don't get told because they don't fit the expectation of the role that everybody's supposed to be playing and how lovely to know that you can come up with this new model that works for you. Mm -hmm. And it would have been a sellout to try to do any other model. So I'm going to wrap that little part up and then I have a question for you and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. The, the part I want to wrap up here is, remember the night we were all at Robin and Aaron's for dinner? We knew y'all were going to get married our, pre-ceremony but you and joe were off on the side talking and you were talking about joe's relationship with the children and how did he do that he agonized after that which joe doesn't that's not his general nature about the fact that he wanted so much to give you something and what he said to you was i think you should try to get to know the children using your camera I bet he asked me a hundred times after that if I thought that was a helpful, wise answer. And I, I think we all have something that we can be comfortable using to build relationships if we give ourselves permission to use it. Mm -hmm. And you know... That, that was very helpful. And it, like, it did give me something to hold on to. Like, okay, yeah, I got that. I can do that. Yeah. Like, that's, that's all I needed. Um, and then it's over the years. Yes, yeah, so I definitely have been the family documentarian sure. in many ways. And during COVID, when even our family in Minnesota couldn't see each other, what I did for our annual Festivus party was I went through a lot of years of family photos and I just printed out a ton because I've shared albums virtually with all the family, but you know, nobody prints out right. things anymore. Right. So I printed out hundreds of photos, put them in boxes and we delivered them to all the houses. And the most I printed out for us, you know, we, that's a big tub and the kids just like 
spread, they spread them all out and they were pointing and laughing and Lily took some with her to college and um, it, it was a moment that was like a culmination of, like, of exactly what Joe told me to do all, the, all those years. And in ways that I think um, the stories will continue to, to be told or they'll, be, they'll continue to realize in the future how I might not have been there for them mm -hmm. as a mother or as the mother they wish they had. And they're always going to have that lack. Um, but I was there as best I could be. As yourself. Yeah. And I think my kids would say, Courtney sees me. Yep. Because she has taken photos of each of those kids and captured things in their lives that would have otherwise been vapor. Uh, so I think that was a way of Courtney seeing them without having to tell them, I see you, uh -huh. you know? So I would think every... Well, and then I would take it further. And how do you feel about me seeing you? Do you feel good? Like, yeah, do you love me because no. I see you? Because I see you all the time. Do you want me to see you more? <laughs> I mean, I can just see myself going, I have avoided... I have avoided pushing my kids on art, making them articulate how they feel about Courtney. Yeah. I have avoided well, thankfully, it. Thankfully, yeah. In part, probably because I'm afraid of the answer, that it wouldn't be satisfactory to me. All I've said to them is, I really hope if I die, you will maintain a relationship with Courtney because she's because she saved my life. Mm -hmm. And I think you know that. And that would be important to me if I'm not around, if something happens to me. So I'll say that to them on occasion. But Next week on the Enneagram Journey, we're going to have your three kids. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, oh, we're still funny. learning and growing, too. <laughs> yeah, we all are. We yeah, all are. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anything you want to say that it hasn't been said? It's okay for it to be over. <laughs> I was trying to think there was maybe one other thing that I was thinking we could, I could mention, but now I can't think of it. Might be tapped out. How about you, babe? Well, uh, the only uh, guarantee is that we'll continue to grow and change as we get older. So, uh, you know, one thing we were talking about as we've observed some people around us having difficulty is we want to encourage one another to continue to have a variety in life so that we don't depend on one thing as our value or as our identifier so that we don't cling to it and grasp at it um, beyond the time which it should mm -hmm. be held. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was very taken with you with your response to the video saying, that's not the direction my life's going right now. And so many people in a time of being closed down would grab it for security reasons, particularly from the fear triad. Mm -hmm. And you just said, no, that's not the direction my life's going right now. And I think we don't allow our lives maybe to move forward because we're trying to, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what we think we're doing searching for control and security that doesn't exist. I am so excited that we did this. Can't wait till we do it again. Um, 
I'm guessing y'all will be in town a little more as years go by. So yeah. we'll just, we'll do a thing. Sounds good. I do love, love you. I respect you. I hope I honor you. I thank you both for being the people you are.